Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It's great to see you today. So in 2020, the country of Denmark decided that um, mink, you know those little animals um, that they get fur off of often, but mink were known to carry a strain of COVID, COVID-19, that was particularly dangerous. And so they made the difficult decision to euthanize all of the minks in the country, especially the ones in their, in their mills or factories or, or facilities that they, they raised by hand. And so they ended up euthanizing around 10 million mink in a, in a span of a couple of weeks. Now, when you've got 10 million mink, it's kind of difficult to figure out where you're going to bury all of them. So they, they dug some trenches and they, and they buried them in, in mass graves. And I know that all this is gruesome, kind of gruesome, but hold on with me for a minute. So they, they buried them in mass graves and, and left them, only to see several days later that the bodies of the minks were rising up out of the ground. <laughs> no, it's not it's not an episode of The Walking Dead. They were not alive, but they were rising up out of the ground. They think it was because of the gas from their decomposing bodies that was pushing them up, but they were rising up out of the ground and on top of the dirt. You could walk where they had buried all of them and see all of these carcasses on top of the ground. That's not where they're supposed to be. And that is not something, certainly not something you would see every day. In fact, the idea of anything kind of coming up out of the ground after it's been buried, right? Anything that it has died coming back up in any way, shape or form is, is just not normal. And, and whether or not that story kind of freaks you out or it fascinates you because you want to understand the science behind how that happened, it reveals something about us, stories of the dead coming back to life, right? Or coming back up out of the ground in this case, aren't normal. <laughs> They're not normal. They're not something that happens on a daily basis. And, and, and one might argue, not really often or ever, right? And yet Christianity, our faith, the Jesus Christ, the one we follow and the one who's resurrection from the dead that we celebrate today on this Easter Sunday, that stands at the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 goes so far as to, to say it this way. He says, beginning in verse 3, he says, For I passed it on to you as most important, most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, I don't think anybody would argue with that, was buried, I don't think anybody would argue with that, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive today, but some have fallen asleep. He would go on to say that if this isn't true, if this didn't actually happen, then our faith isn't worth the words I'm writing to you. It's not worth anything, really. This is at the cornerstone of our faith that a man came back from the dead, and not just any man, the, man, the one who was fully man and fully God, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who beat death. And Paul clearly states that, that this is the most important thing he wanted to pass along to them, 
Don't miss this fact. This really happened. Which leaves me wondering, what was it like? Because this is kind of an event that, again, doesn't happen. <laughs> what was it like to witness what is really the most important event in human history? And today, we're going to finish up our study in the book of Luke, and we're going to look at another unique passage, another passage that is unique to Luke. It is the what's known as the road to Emmaus or the way to Emmaus. It is Luke chapter 24, and it is resurrection morning. It is the, the morning that Jesus had been risen from the dead and, and his grave had been discovered to be empty. Empty. Again, when, the, when someone dies, you bury them. They don't come back up. This isn't the walking dead. That's just a TV. But Jesus clearly, clearly did. So let's read along with me as some of the disciples a little later in that day are dealing with it. Again, this is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Now that same day, that would be the day of the resurrection, one of them, or two of them, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. It's a seven mile walk, right? At about two miles an hour, you're looking at probably what, three, three and a half hours. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself around somebody, if you're around somebody for that long, three, three and a half hours, even somebody you love greatly, you kind of run out of things to talk about eventually. Um, so many couples actually over the years run out of things to talk about. But on a day like this, do you really run out of things to talk about? I'm thinking no, right? They are passionately discussing what they've seen, what they've heard, the, the people, the events, the places, the revelations, the feelings, right? They're clearly, as Jesus walks up next to them and says, this dispute you're having, they're, they're clearly talking and arguing with one another over maybe whether or not this really happened, how this could possibly be. This has been a roller coaster of a week for them, right? Everything has taken place so much in the last several days from the, the highs of the triumphant ent entry just a week before uh, through watching Jesus do some incredible things, flipping over tables and reclaiming the temple for the Lord and declaring himself king and only to find himself hanging on a cross as they all watched him die and his body be carted off and buried. And here, if though that wasn't enough, right? Today, the tomb is empty. I would imagine that they are unbelievably stressed, right? And usually when you're on an emotional roller coaster like that, good or bad, your your endorphins pump, your adrenaline gets moving, and, and you, you, you become stressed. And stressed can cause people to act in ways they normally wouldn't. It can cause people to blame one another or to, it can just generate kind of this negative energy and attitude and, and really an unwillingness to kind of listen to another point of view. I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out and somebody comes up and says, hey, I got a helpful hint for you, it takes every fiber of my being not to go, I don't want to hear it right now. 
knowing knowing full well I probably need to hear it, there's still this part of me that's dealing with the stress that's like, no, no, not right now. And then some guy, at this point, it's just some guy, someone they don't recognize, right? They're, they were kept from recognizing. Now that could be because Jesus didn't want them to recognize him out of the gate. Maybe he just wanted to get kind of their honest reactions, right? Or, or it could be they were so in the midst of their argument and the, just the notion that someone would come back from the dead, that Jesus could be alive again, just wasn't registering with them yet. Who knows? But either way, they don't recognize him. And he kind of walks up and invites himself into this conversation. How would you or I respond if we were in the middle of a passionate conversation with somebody and, and some random dude just walked up and said, hey, um, what are you guys arguing about? You know. And so here's what happens next is Cleopas, who we're going to meet next, <laughs> does probably what I would do, I think. He says this in in verse 18. He says, The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? It's kind of like, dude, have you been living under a rock? Are you not paying attention? Let's go on. He says, Jesus says, What things? He asked them. And so they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since all these happened. All these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You can almost hear the confusion, right? Just the mass amounts of this day and these facts don't make sense, right? In my worldview and what I know of how the world works, this doesn't make any sense. You can almost see them trying to piece it all together. And and the story is so far removed from what they anticipated, what they expected as that week began to have happen. It's a season in which their hopes were dashed. Verse 21 says they were hoping, they were hoping he was going to be the Messiah who was going to redeem Israel. It's as though they've, they've moved past that now. They, they no longer think that's the case or they don't know what to think. Nothing frankly makes sense. It's worth noting here something. Two believers are expressing their dismay and confusion over what happened and what is happening in their world. It's a public conversation. They're walking down a road. There are others coming to and fro, walking down this road likely. They're likely not alone. And it leads to an encounter with Jesus. I think there's a lesson here for us. Sometimes we are afraid to share our struggles and share our faith with one another, with others, when others are around or with strangers when we meet. But you never know. You never know how it may lead to an opportunity that out of our own weakness or our own dismay in a difficult or stressful time, 
that glory might be brought to Jesus, that he might show up in the conversation. And then the two receive a lesson that I think most believers would desire, Jesus unpacking the scriptures. Let's pick it up in verse 26. It says this, it says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Sally Lloyd-Jones says it this way, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. That would be Jesus's name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. What a poignant reminder this is to us that in the midst of the crazy times, Jesus reminds them that all of this points to him. It has always pointed to him. And oh, by the way, he's not done yet. He wasn't done with them and he isn't done with the world. And that includes you and I. He is not finished with the work he was sent here to do. Now, has he atoned for all of our sins? Absolutely. What he's not finished doing is working on you and working on me and trying to help others come to know him and find that same salvation that he offers all who accept it. Let's keep moving. In verse 28, it says this, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it is almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Yet another thing that doesn't happen often. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. That moment, that moment of breaking bread together makes all the pieces come together, right? Like Sally Lloyd-Jones said earlier, it's like this final piece that makes it all click for them sharing that time, just as many of the disciples had in the Last Supper. Just Jesus coming with them, the fog, coming and eating with them, the fog is suddenly lifted. They can see clearly. It's as their eyes were opened, right? They see this purpose that comes in and through Jesus. In verse 28, it says they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. Jesus, again, sending this, this not-too-subtle message that he's not done, right? That there's much to do, that there are many people to visit and those to talk to. And remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 people, not just individually, but at one time, right? So this is a mass gathering event. He's not done. He's continuing to work. And even as he's... as the, <laughs> 
you've been dead for three days and you come back from the dead and now you get right back to work. You don't even get to breathe, off you go, right? He is moving and pulling people along with him. Jesus entered to bring them clarity, peace and purpose, but his mission and theirs and ours was just beginning. It says their their hearts were burning. Their, the, the notion there, I think, is that the Holy Spirit is moving and is working in them. Scripture is literally coming to life as the meaning is being revealed. Again, everything points to Jesus. And so as he's lining up all the stars, so to speak, for them, they're going, Poof! it's those, those aha moments that I totally dig. I love them. It's this kind of, oh, I get it. That's awesome. It's all starting to make sense for them. And again, it's a lot to make sense of. I don't want to minimize that at all. There's a lot to deal with here. And, and the truth is, they didn't truly recognize that. Their heart, they didn't recognize what had been happening to them all along until Jesus disappeared, until Jesus moved on to his next stop. And it's, then it's, it's almost like they couldn't help but run back and tell everybody. I'm reminded of a verse out of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, that I think describes this feeling. I know it, it does for me, right? When I went into become a pastor and into ministry, it was kind of this, I can't not tell people what I've seen and what I've heard. I can't not tell people who Jesus is. Jeremiah says, if I, if I say I won't mention him, that would be God at the time, I won't mention or speak, or speak any longer his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. I cannot stop it from coming out. And that's the sense that I get from Cleopas and his friend as they are running back to the other 11 and they are frantically telling this story and saying, this is what we saw. This is what we heard. I don't know that they had a choice. It's, it's like a two-year-old trying to keep a secret, right? It just has to pop out. There's no stopping that. And, and so something powerful happens here. Jesus brings meaning to what seemed meaningless to the disciples, namely his crucifixion, right? They even described it that way. Before the crucifixion, things were going so well. The dead were being raised, the wounded were being healed, the blind could see, the mute could talk, the lame could walk, and then suddenly their hero dies, the death of a criminal. But as they are trying to make sense of it in the aftermath of all the events that they're dealing with, maybe you're dealing with events right now that you're just trying to make sense of this crazy messed up world you're in. In the midst of all of that, Jesus shows up and he reveals to them that it all had to happen. There was purpose, there was meaning in it. They certainly didn't feel that way in the moment. And frankly, as we're reading the story, they're still wrestling with this too until right up right up to the last couple of verses. They're kind of going, are you sure? This, this is still confusing to me. This isn't supposed to happen. I don't get it, right? But Jesus shows up and reveals to them that those events were what they were. They were purposeful, they were meaningful. And though you didn't think they had any purpose or meaning, they meant everything. Even better, he sends them this message that death, which they thought was the end of the story, was and is no longer the end. Jesus rewrote the history books. This moment in time is probably, if not the, uh, short of creation itself, the most important moment in human history. 
where the Father, Father God, our Lord, sends down his son to die on a cross because of mistakes that, not mistakes he made, but mistakes that you and I made, that our ancestors made, that human beings have made, and that those who probably will come after us will make. But he felt it important enough to do, to humble himself to death. And as Paul says in Philippians, not just any death, but death on a cross in order to to heal that relationship, in order to make it right, and in order to make sure that death wasn't the end, that the story was continuing, and that he is always inviting you and I to join in that story. If you've not yet joined in the story that Jesus wants to write for your life, if you've not accepted him yet as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do that today. Get on your knees right now and say, Lord, please, This world is a train wreck. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand the events. I don't know what is going on all the time. I'm confused. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I have problems in my life that are insurmountable. I can't seem to get over them. I need you. I need to change. I need to see things differently. I need you to take over my life. I need you to be my savior to lead me beyond my fears. I don't want death to be the end. I want now to be the beginning. Jesus Christ wants to be your savior. All you have to do is come to him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.